Hey everyone, welcome to Inside the Firm. I'm your host, Alex Gore. I'm here with our other host, Lance Psycho. How how you doing? Doing fantastic, buddy. Hey, so uh, in this podcast, what we talk about is running a firm, the ins and outs of it, uh, everything from getting clients, uh, doing work, and doing our own design build, which I think is is huge. So if you're interested in, in the inner workings, welcome to Inside the Firm. Welcome, welcome. Hey, so you just took your contractor's test. I did, and successfully passed. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so, side note, Alex also passed yep. PPP this PPP. week. Woo. Uh, so now I'm moving into 5.0. Uh, but let's focus on that because I don't think a lot of architects take the contractor's test. And my first question to you is, can you recap uh, what you needed to study for it and how you studied? Okay, so really let's quick. give everybody a very quick overview. There's There's three types of contractor's license, a C, a B, and an A. A B is what, uh, so an A is you could build anything. Yep. A B, anything commercial and residential, three stories or under. And then C, it's just a single family house. So I took the B because that's what we need for our development. Yep. So what you need to study for the B is different than the A and the C. <clears throat> for the B in particular, you need to study uh, the IRC, the International Residential Code. You need to study the International Building Code, the IBC. And then you need to study... Uh, the concrete manual. I think it's, I think it's American Concrete Standards International, something we'll, like that. We'll put a link to it. We'll put a link to it, right? Yeah. Uh, what I did was, since and you can bring those books to the test, you can bring those books. Um, you can bring those books. You can mark in them. You can highlight stuff. If you go to the ICC, so the International Code Council, they will tell you exactly what you can and cannot bring. Uh, you can also bring a, a scale. You can oh, bring nice. a calculator. And so, but you can't. Can you bring a construction calculator, or would that not be necessary? Because some of those calculators can do rise over run percentage. You can bring a construction calculator. Yeah, scientific calculator. They didn't have any restrictions on that for sure. I forgot to bring a calculator, and so nice. They gave me one, and it was just a little crappy one. But I only needed it for maybe three questions. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So set in the scene. Lance sits down, has a computer, has his book. So you didn't bring the IRC for whatever reason. So let's back up just quickly here. Yeah. Uh, I didn't bring the IRC and I didn't study the IRC because we swim in the IRC we, for, for the last almost a decade now. Ballsy. So I feel like, I feel like uh, we're, we're in good shape and I really didn't need to... I mean, we just kind of know all the general codes backwards and forwards for the IRC. Yep. The IBC, to be honest with you, has been a life uh, like a goal since I passed the architecture test. I need to just read through the whole thing. So this forced me to read through the whole thing, okay? Yep. So what I did was... So I would recommend if, if you're to make, looking to make a similar leap like us, forget the IRC. You already know it. Uh, but you should... And then... Unless you're in a commercial firm. Unless you're in a commercial firm, then read it because it the IRC is different enough. I mean, houses are different enough from commercial yeah. buildings like the stairs, all kinds of exceptions, what you can and cannot do. It's a lot more lenient in front, terms of dimensions, I think, right? You get more like you can do more, you can do bigger stair heights and runs and all that kind of stuff. Everybody probably knows. Right. So what I did was I read through the IBC, but then the the key, the big key was just kind of not not word for word reading, but I think overall just kind of skimming on the thing and tabbing each section. So <clears throat> on the top and the bottom of the book, I would have tabs that listed out exactly like two tables and sections, uh, span tables, stuff like that. And then along the along the side opposite the binder is where I had 
tabs for all all of the. We should take a picture and throw it on. Yeah, that's a good website. idea. So I so I had tabs for all of the uh, chapters, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> now now I I'm sitting there at the computer. <laughs> yeah, but before that, so I'm gonna read through it too. Um, I'm just taking the other tests. And oh, yeah, for ARE, 100% recommended. What's also great, I think, about... Because I've been in probably almost every chapter. No, I probably haven't I probably haven't been in three or four chapters, to be honest, of the IBC, just from experience. Yeah. So reading through it, I think, will structure. And then what's great is that now, if you don't know the exact answer, you know exactly where to look. So what That's question, the critical part. That's the critical yeah. part. I, I swear, just yesterday, the, the day before, I go, Lance, what's... Uh, what do I need to do for this? You're like, uh, let me find the chart. And it was like two seconds. Within within two minutes. Yeah. Do you, I don't even know what I asked. Something yeah. for stairs. Is there an exception for, so we're doing, we're doing like an apartment yeah. building. Is there, is there an exception? For R2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But so, yeah, now I feel really confident being able to go in and get, gather, get information extremely quickly. Yeah. So three books, um, you read them or, or knew one of them. You're sitting at the test. Now you've taken the architecture test and now the concrete test. The, I mean the contractor's test. How how are the questions? The questions for the contractor's test reminded me a lot. The only test that was very similar in the ARE that toward that was like the contractor's test was structures. Because structures I felt as if it would be foolish. They I think they whoever wrote the test got the point of you can't really be crazy when it comes like you can't do these triple negative questions and be crazy. So it was very straightforward. Or, and honestly for me, structures was the easiest test on the ARE. Honestly, like yeah. I came out of that when I went, I know I passed that. I yeah. know for a fact I passed that. So there was no questions like this. this. These are the questions that I find are the hardest is what is a sustainable issue. What, what, um, what strategy would you use? Oh, right. Gosh. And then they'll have four and three of them would work. And in my head, like it depends on not only where we are, but yeah. what the budget is. So there's, there's nothing like that. And in, even in the answers, when you study for the, for the ARE, they'll say, you know, D and C are correct, but B is more correct. So there's no like more correct. There's no more correct. There is an absolute, is this correct or not? So there's 80 questions. I had four hours to do them. I finished each. I finished all the questions, went through them twice uh, with, and then I had an hour to spare. Yeah. So I narrowed it down to when I would, when I would narrow an architecture test down at the end, there would be 15 to 20 where I'm like, oh, I just don't know at all if those ones are right. Like I have no confidence factor factor at all, like a 0% confidence factor in that they're right. And it was more or less a 100% guess. Yep. This one, six, six questions at the end. And, and some of them were my fault. I would say half of them are because this is where I didn't bring the IRC in. Yep. <laughs> now, so so just if, if you IRC. really if you really want to crush this test bring the irc in bring Was the, the ibc in weight of you just bringing it in just too much oh like, I, I couldn't handle it i couldn't handle it yeah if you haven't noticed i've like lost like five pounds because i haven't been doing push-ups in the morning so yeah that's exactly it yeah. <laughs> uh, could you without giving away specific questions could you give us a, what a question might feel like from the contractor's test boy that's a hmm what might it feel like? Honest, they they're not ambiguous. So a lot of them are. A lot of them. One one. one how about this? You you get a, you'll get a diagram. You'll get at least one diagram that you refer to maybe for four or five different questions. Okay, and in my case, it was a section of a building, and then they had multiple questions about that about that section that were. 
that were specific to uh, can you use this type of framing for this floor? Can you, and then ch double check the span. Will this span work for certain things? And then there's tables in. The yeah. And then you would, and then you would go right to the tables. So like I said, when I, I went through, I probably marked 20 of them that I needed to go back and double check. And then that's how I narrowed to six. But even those, so those 15 that I was able to find and then that out of the 20, I could go right to the section and absolutely verify that it was the right answer. Like there was just no question about it. And the, like I said, the half of the six were, they were literally, they would say, according to the resident, I, international residential code. And I'm like, wow, shoot. I guess now I'm just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> but they were pretty educated guesses. Yeah. So yeah. So there was, I don't know. There's nothing. There was only, I, I swear, one or two tricky questions. One or two ones where you're like, oh, you're, you are misdirecting information, you know, in a certain area and then asking and that you're misdirecting by giving information out that really doesn't pertain to identifying the problem that you just need to ignore and focus on the ignore. Yeah. Ignore and focus. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I think, I think in to, to, to re, to kind of sum up the whole thing though, about if, if anybody else is looking to do this, you know, do the IRC, do the IBC, bring them both in tabbed. The the concrete construction manual, I don't know. It, it helped. It helped for one question, and it was more of like a strength question. So I don't know if you need to read that one. But I really contend if you're a licensed architect and you've been practicing for at least two or three years, I think you can go and take the Class A. And then if you take the Class A, the thing about it is is you only have to, you are only going to be referred to the IBC. So in that sense, you could go in and just have the IBC. If you pass the A, you can I you can automatically get the B or the C because it's a lower version. Yeah. Oh, other cool thing was finish the test. No, you got B though. Uh, yeah, I got the B. Because A you'll need references and all this other stuff, but Well, yeah, yeah. So the A in Denver, you need references from like architects and contractors proving what you've done. Uh, but in some cases, some cities you don't. You were going to end up, I cut you off. I was going to say, the other really cool thing that, that is different between the contractor's test and the architecture test is, you know the answer within five, you know if you've passed within five minutes. So this is, and this is a bit of a rant here and, and a rave, but I just, not a rave. Um, I don't understand why I, could, I came out of this. So I finished the test, raised my hand. They came and checked me out, checked my ID. Then I went, then I went over to the to the lady's desk who at the like at the in the lobby, twenty feet away. Twenty feet away, <laughs> she said, "Let me see your ID again." I go, "Okay, here it is." She hands me the paper and says, "Congratulations, you passed." It's this. So we've all heard that all of these ARE tests, the vignette and the multiple choice are all scored by the computer. So and there what is no review. Are we waiting for what? Why? What is this protectionist weird? Like, what are we trying to do? I, I, you're not helping by build, you're build, you're helping build like unconfident professionals. Yeah. What's the, with the, the mind game is nonsense. It's, so if we were in charge, if, if NCARB ever let us in charge of making the test, I think it'd be awesome because it follow the principles that we've, we've done since college, which is basically simplify, reduce so that you can have a more profound, powerful answer in the end. Right. So if you look at these other professions from a public view, 
the contractor test, which you know, and then from my doctor friends, I've asked them about the doctor test and how they said it's very, it's straightforward, right? But it's actually getting to some meat and the structures test, the structures test is straightforward because I don't want to say these are all real, real subjects, but it seems when you go to PPP and some of these other architecture ones, it becomes more ambiguous. So if we could simplify and reduce, I think our eye, I think our perception in the public eye would actually increase. Um, because I remember meeting contractors when I, when I was young and thinking, man, they know everything. They know yeah, everything. Yeah, they know everything. And then, and then as most architects know, once you get some experience, you're like, no, they don't. <laughs> but we don't know everything either. So let's, you know, we, That's we, true. We, we say that with, with that kind of regard for it. But even the contractors, when I, all my, all the contractor buddies that I went and talked to and said, Hey, What's it like to take the test? They're like, you should have no problem. You should, you should, this should be easier for you than it was for us. Yep. And when I mean they don't know everything, it, I mean, we're on the job site, there's some problem and we'll all say our four cents, you know, because there'll be four people there, the owner. And it's not always going to be the contractor's answer, which is the one that you're going to go with. It's like, it's split between everyone. Oh, okay. The own, that was actually a, a, a rare good idea by yep. the owner. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. Um, so overall, man... I, I wish we don't even have the time, but NCARB just hire us to redo all of your tests. <laughs> so uh, that's on a big level. And then on a personal level of what I would say about the AREs is everyone, uh, in, in, this is going to be for myself too. Uh, don't freak out about having to retake a test. You had to retake a test. I had to retake, I had a, to test. take a, retake a test. All the guys that we've probably mentioned on this podcast, you know, our friends, personal friends had to retake a test. Um, some of the big people that have these exam guides had to take multiple, you know, tests over and over again because it's subjective. So stop worrying about it because it's not straightforward. And so I'm transitioning to 5.0 and I want to pass both of them, you know, just easily. When I took PPP the second time, it was honestly pretty easy for me. And I don't know what it was. Maybe more things marinated. I was reading for like... It was, I probably, was, a, it was probably an algorithm marination. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But also, I was reading for the other tests, and I didn't really study for the PPP again. I took uh, a morning and then a half a day to restudy for it and just looked over Jenny's notes again. And it, and it was super easy. So when I'm going into 5.0, I have no idea what these are going to be like. They might be totally crazy. They yeah. might be whatever. So just know that these are these architectural tests... You're going to have to probably redo one at least. Yeah. We had so. friends, I think. Exactly. Everybody. Yeah. You're right. Every, a, lot of, a lot of people have, have had to redo them. I don't, think yeah. it's, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. You just do it and get it done. Yeah. It's no big deal. Yeah. Because it, it's my, not. My goal was to take one every month for seven months straight and pass them in seven months. And even though I failed one, I got pissed and said, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to, as soon as I could, as soon as I could reschedule, I scheduled, I rescheduled that one as soon as possible and then took two in one, one week structures. Um, yeah, it was structures. And then the, the other one that I failed. So don't be afraid. Just, just get it done. Nice. The, okay. the uh, last thing about the contractor testing we can move on is, um, so the next step for us, and this is a little bit of a de- development talk is to figure out how to structure the construction arm. So I've asked, I've asked for opinions on, in the Ontario architect community. It sounds like it's split between you either set up an S corp or an LLC at the end of the day, though, everybody's saying you need to talk to your CPA and see how you want to set it up. And so we've, we've done that. We started engaging our CPA and I'll kind of, I'll, I'm happy to share this hopefully next week and say yeah. why we went in a certain way with how we formed the new construction company, which is going to be F 14 
but we're skipping F13. <laughs> yeah. We're just, I don't know what we'll reserve that for. Maybe that'll be a nonprofit or something. Who knows? I, I haven't even told you that this yet. And it's great that we have these conversations because <laughs> we don't have time to talk. Um, I just talked with the contractor for the meeting that I went to yesterday. And I just asked him, are you S Corp or LLC? And he said LLC. And then I asked why. And he's the big boss man. And he, he's like, I don't know someone. Yeah. We, there was, he's like, there was a reason. He just doesn't yeah. know. So it. disclaimer. Talk to your CPA, but we're happy to share. Yeah, but what our why our CPA says it work for our particular situation. One data point is one successful contractor said LLC. Yeah, yeah. There like if if we talk to every contractor we know and they all say LLC, that's probably the way to go. Too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on. So, congratulations, Mr. Gore. You are not only under contract for a new house, but you are under contract to sell your other house for a record-setting price in your neighborhood. Congratulations. Yep. Moneybags Al Gore. That's my new <laughs> Al Gore Moneybags, and we're heading to he's Vegas. Like, he's like Scrooge McDuck or whatever when he's dumping, diving into the, into the. remember that? Yeah, yeah, the, all the gold. <laughs> all the gold. Yep, yeah. that's basically, basically <laughs> me now. So we, we started cleaning up our house, and I'll, I'll go over how I think I got a record price for my house. Um and then we are going to live in an apartment because we didn't want to do all this. You have to buy a house at the same day. I mean, during the same time and all that nonsense. We literally bought and sold and closed, not closed, but received the contract and got the contract on the same day. So it was the most. Um, How many offers total did you get? Seven, nine, nine. And one of the offers. So one, one thing to note about Alex's deal was they set a specific time. We mentioned this in the last podcast when they would accept offers, but he, did, he got an offer right away. How yep. difficult was it to not look at that offer in detail? I looked at the offer. I didn't look at the letter. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there yep. was a letter associated. And, so yeah, so tell people about this because this could happen and I think it's yep. a good liability thing to keep yourself out of weird water because be, this is like an anti-discriminatory caution, right? right? So what happened is I list my house for what one real estate agent told me it was worth, right? And they, it will probably go above that, but whatever. We didn't really know. This was literally just a week ago that all of this happened. So immediately I got an offer for 5,000 over that. And then I said, no, it's not worth it. You know, I think I'll get more. I think it was listed on, it would be two Sundays. Was it? Man, this week flew by. No, it was, so two, it was two Sundays ago. Yes. Yep. And then on Monday or Tuesday, I got an offer for five over and I said, no, that was pretty easy. Then they gave me 10 over asking. So right there, it's like, man, this could be simple. I don't even, I still had stuff to fix up. There's still a showing, all this other stuff. And also they sent me a letter and me, I really wanted to read the letter. And my real estate agent said, I advise not to. So I asked my wife and my wife said, don't do it. I go, why? It's not like they're going to pull at my heartstrings. And she's like, Yes, they will. You are very <laughs> manipulatable. You, you are very manipulatable. <laughs> if you see a gimmick on TV, <laughs> you go and buy that, <laughs> especially if it's Bud Light or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then the real estate agent said, the reason why you don't want to is because if they send a picture or something like that indicating sex, gender, uh, race, and if you don't get army it to vet, them, that's one of the things I vet. thought is what if they're what if they're a vet and they oh I would use that yeah I, mean, I would use that we've used that against the city yeah not for me but for other clients. for a for a client yeah yeah you don't want them to have a, any ammunition like oh you didn't you didn't choose me because I was a wounded veteran and you th- you know and then they could say oh 
maybe I would request that you put in a ramp. I'm just making this up. Right. But basically, you want to be as blind as possible. So I listened to the ladies in, in charge, and I said, fine, I won't do it. <laughs> See, we do listen, ladies. We do, <laughs> occasionally. Then, just to recap, because I know I already went over this, but what I thought was brilliant, not only about... Uh, listing it for five days beforehand, don't let anyone see it and then have the open house and then have a deadline when everything's due is to get a pre-inspection and that pre-inspection. And I actually don't care if they get an inspection afterwards. The only reason, um, the reason why I like the inspection so much is because I did everything on that list. And what I thought was amazing was people that are discerning, discerning. So let's say you were buying my house. And you, through your agent, could get that inspection, right? And I bet you, you'd do this, i do this. You'd walk through the house and say, huh, I wonder if they did that or not. Exactly. Or it's a big deal. It sets, it, it sets the whole integrity yep. up. And Saturday morning, not only I was walking through, there was wood above my electrical panel, which wasn't supposed to be there. It was supposed to be gypsum. So I had to get that out. I had to strip out screws, get that wood out, put in new, caulk it, tape it, paint it over again, just running my butt off. And I just can imagine everyone walking through the house and be like, oh my God, he did this. Oh my God, he did this. Even the stuff the inspector said, like, yeah, that's a kind of lot of work. No one will really expect you to do it. Just did it. Just did it. What is, uh, what, what is the, what, 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 what was the cherry on top of the cake? That the, you- the cherry was then that morning I went to four neighbors that had grass that was too long. And I said, hey, can I mow your lawn for you? <laughs> so, What was their reaction? Uh, one first of them, surprised or? One of, them said, one of them said, oh, I'm sorry, I'll do it. I'm like, hey, thank you for being a decent human being. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> I'm being nice about it, but maybe you should mow your lawn. Yeah. Um, the other. But did you go up to him and say, hey, I'm selling my house? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I invited them to the open house. I'm so, Hey, I'm your neighbor. I have an open house. I'd love if you'd come. Um, but uh, I want to make the best impression. I know people will be coming down this street, so can I mow your front lawn for you? Uh, and they said, the rest of them said yes. So I mowed three, three of the four neighbors that had the big lawn. And I know that that is a psychological subtle thing that helped. Because when I was looking at houses, when you drive in, I think you notice that. Yes. And I think it makes it makes yeah. it different. Oh, I think so 100%. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So then we got, um, I don't know, above asking, I'm not going to go into the numbers, but more than 10, like 20, 20 plus above asking price. Mm-hmm. And, ask, and our asking price was way higher than what we had the mortgage on. So then I was, I'm able to basically transition into a nicer neighborhood, bigger house and all that. So. Do you, that you've got a couple more notes on here, though. Yep. Tell me about cleaning the glass. What is this? What is that in oh, reference to? <clears throat> cleaning the glass is our agent said, uh, get all your windows clean because it actually makes a huge difference. So Annie went and cleaned all the windows. And the one in front, looking at that big tree, just sparkles. It's insane how well that works. The other thing that I would say is extremely key is sell in a hot market. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, as much as I want to take credit for it, there's maybe, maybe if I didn't do all that, there would probably be two or three less offers and maybe only a couple grand less than my total. So I still would have sold it. And for for everybody who's out of state and not paying attention to the Colorado market, what's going on is we've had, we've had a, we've had a 10 to 20% 
climb every single year in the value of our home. So like we're just building an insane amount of equity and it's never real money until you sell it. Right. Yep. That's the key here is like, everybody should know that this is all made up and speculation until you yep. find a buyer to buy it. And then all of a sudden they can, and you still gotta, you still gotta, hopefully it's got to close and all that stuff. Right. Yep. Knock on wood. Um, but the other, <clears throat> so the, that's, that's all of that is sort of happening. And then also the, the other factor is anything under 300,000, in this in this Colorado market, it just flies off the shelf. Yep, I have a backup offer for more than I'm selling my house for, which is crazy. Yep, um, it's only a thousand more, so I'm not going to ruin the process or anything like that. The other thing is, if you're going for a house in a house in a, in a hot market, since I was just on this perspective, there was a lot of people that did escalation clauses, which means like my bid is two hundred thousand, but I'll go up to two hundred and ten thousand or something like that. These aren't the real numbers, but then some people would do oh. I'm going to just start at 210 and that looked better to me than the escalation clause because so what I did when I was looking and if you can put more money down, that also looks better. So now are, are you, sorry, are you transitioning into talking about buying a house? Buying a house. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about that. So how, yep. so, so you went under contract to sell your house and then you went under contract to buy a new house in the same day. Yes. How did you, how did you nip, uh, nip it in the butt to get the deal you wanted for your new house yep. right away in a in, in an incredibly hot market. Yep. So the week before we sold, Annie and I were driving around the neighborhood that we wanted to move into and we're just generally looking at the outside of houses. And then you can look at the inside of houses through Zillow and all that. Um, but that was just informal because we were literally planning on just doing whatever. So uh, we get done cleaning our house at 1230. The opening is at one o'clock. Um, so we go have a beer and then Annie and I are like, let's 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 go to that neighborhood again. We find an open house of one that we don't even know. So we just go in it. It was a little bit above ours. So we just, we're just looking and it's actually a really, really nice house. And then I go, Hey honey, there's a house that we might like down this path, 200 feet away, literally. And we go and we look at that one. We're like, nah, that's not going to be the one, but we see a house selling to it, two houses down. So we go look at them in the windows and we go, this looks pretty good. The location was perfect. And the front inside looks okay. So then we call up our agent and say tomorrow. So that was Saturday. So she just did the open house. Can we, can we look at this house on, on Sunday? We look at the house. We like it. We look at a whole bunch of different houses online and driving by and we, this is a house. So what I do is they're, they're, they're selling it for two thirty. again, not the real number. So I said, okay, we'll buy it for, and my agent said she almost didn't want me to put a bid on it because I don't have the money in my hand right now mm -hmm. because I don't have the, the net profits, you know? So she goes, you're not going to look very competitive. Oh. So, so my idea was $10,000 more from a starting. I didn't put an escalation. Yeah. Clause. So I offer 10,000 more than asking yep. right away. And then I put down 40. Uh -huh. So then they'll go, okay, this guy does have money. And they came back and asked. So then that was Sunday on Monday, we were going through and we were picking the one that we wanted. And then they just, then I, um, it was so funny. One of, uh, she was getting a phone call and she didn't want to answer it. I go, no, pick it up because it might be that the new house calling. And it was someone trying to buy my house and then they were raising the price of the house. Uh -huh. We're like, okay, we might go with them. And the agent said, oh, you know, sometimes if you don't call and ask, you don't know. So right when we were done picking my house, I go, hey, call, <laughs> call that house. See what's up. You know, call my future house. And all they wanted to know is to see the contract. Right. 
for the one that we just picked minutes earlier to know that I'll have enough money in cash. And then both of them signed on Tuesday morning, sent it over. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. Congratulations again. Uh, with that, I think we're going to transition into uh, this week's worst and best advice. And so this is a part two segment uh, that features my fiance, Marilyn. And so if anybody is looking to relocate, would highly recommend go take a look at her, uh, your edge in longmontrealestate.com. What she's going to talk about on her worst and best advice is best advice and lessons learned from building a house. So she and I built a house last year. It's a, it's a custom home. And there were, there were three big points that she'll go over and then Alex is going to react to them at the end. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. It's about a 20 minute segment. Here we go. Hey guys, I'm here with my beautiful fiance, Marilyn Ackerman, and she would like to fill us in on uh, this week's segment for instead of best and worst advice, she's going to tell us um, three, three big points and lessons learned from building a house uh, for the very first time. Hi, yeah, I've thought about this. And I think the three main points I really would want to pass on and convey to anyone thinking about building a house now or in the future, um, just briefly, one of them would be, be about good design. The second one is about construction creep. It's not, it's not just great design? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Great I'm sorry. design. I'm sorry. Okay. So number one, great design. Great design. Number two. Construction creep. And we'll go into what that is. And the third one would be uh, fiduciary duty. Ooh, fiduciary. I like that word. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the first one about uh, great design. So what I have learned is that uh, the great design of our house, I think it is really a great modern design that we have, has, uh, it, it does, it probably costs more to begin with to have a personal architect rather than, um, you know, using a stock plan. But I think it was just so worth it. Uh, it would be so worth it. Obviously, I didn't have to pay extra for it, <laughs> but it would be so... She's getting, she's getting an invoice soon. <laughs> <laughs> Little does everybody know. <laughs> okay. But it, I well, just let, me, think, let me ask you this. At what point, honestly, did you... Did, did, that, did that point hit you? And I think it had to be after we've lived in it for a while, right? Oh, it hit me... Um, I think it hit me when when I saw the house completed, immediately when I saw it completed and, and clean and everything. Clean, and I think there's been several times we've had guests over where they've walked through. Yes. Most recently this weekend, most recently this weekend, we had uh, we had a little sleepover. Uh, one of our, our one of our oldest children had a sleepover, and one, that there was a guy. There was one of the fathers came through, and he just gushed for I think two days in a row. <laughs> on yeah, drop off and pick up. He did. He did. Um, so he, you know, he really loved our house. Yeah, and it's, it's it's wonderful when people just come in and they love the house. It feels really good. And it also feels like I've kind of, we've kind of pulled something off here because um, what people don't realize is that a lot of, I mean, a lot of the finishes in our house, we had to sacrifice on the... Uh, sacrifice is a good word. Yeah, uh, I, like that. I like that a lot better than value engineering. So a lot of builders and architects, even contractors say, we're going to value engineer this thing. And it's kind of a dirty word in the industry. But what we did is exactly what she said is we, we sacrificed the finishes. Right. We, we sacrificed. Um, so I was in charge of picking out all the finishes. 
And so the first round of picking out the, and the finishes are the floor, the cabinets, the countertops, um, you know, uh, doorknobs, lights and everything. Plumbing fixtures. That was a big one. Yeah. Plumbing fixtures was, was a giant item for us at one point. It was, it was. Um, so at first I thought we, you know, we didn't quite have the quote on what it was going to cost for the building and we didn't quite have it, uh, that figured out yet. And so the finishes that I first picked were, you know, very, very high end. Because she has great taste. <laughs> right. I, right. Even our builder. Is it, was it, was here's, here's what I thought much. was really weird is that everything that looked cool was expensive. It was just That's it, true. But, and cool from, from the standpoint of it was just clean. Why, why the, didn't you feel as if the clean, the cleaner looking things were more expensive or not? They absolutely were. Why? Yeah. I could never understand that. And then, yeah. So, so Marilyn was in charge. She was, she was, you know, we joke that she, I was the architect, she's the interior designer and she really was. She did a fabulous job, especially even when we sacrificed and, mm-hmm. and went down, it still looks nice and clean. And that's one of the points she's getting to, but uh, go into a little bit more about when you went into specifically to, so it's called in, in, in the Denver Metro area, it's called uh, the design center. And what it is, is these series of warehouses that you go into and you pick out tile and plumbing fixtures and all and, and light fixtures. You and I went to that. So tell us about like your experience from start to finish, seeing, you know, seeing what you saw and then re- prices revealed and all that. Right. Okay. So for the floors, countertops, and even cabinets, you go in there and you pick out what you really like. And then two to three weeks later, they tell you how much it's going to cost because then they've figured so, so, out... So. There wasn't a price tag. No price tags. (laughs) (laughs) No price tags. So it took me three tries at uh, the the flooring countertop place um, to get to where I was just going, what is the cheapest thing I can buy here (laughs) to to fit in our budget? Because, you know, a lot of our budget did go to really awesome things like like the windows um, and, and really... Great yeah. things like that. Yeah. So things. So so uh, th- some things that we didn't sacrifice on were absolutely the windows. You know, everybody, everybody in our neighborhood, or even the town at this point, they say, oh, we, "You guys live in the glass house." So there's we have a lot of glass. Um, some other things we didn't we didn't uh, shrink any of the square footage. We kind of stayed with the floor plan as it were. So one of the big things was again just we're sacrificing on the finishes. Um, we have a lot of, like drywall returns in the windows and stuff like that. So how did you? How many iterations do you think you went through when you picked out the finishes before we finally were done? Probably um, two to two to five on each different one. And each one would be like maybe the floor would be one, the countertops would be another, um, you know, the plumbing another, the lights another. So just just to get it down to budget. And here's what I'm really getting at is our house looks amazing and fantastic, and people think it. People think that a lot of the things we have are high end, even though these, a lot of the things are the least expensive things that I liked at these different, uh, you know, showrooms. So I think um, it's, it's sort of like people are seeing what they want to see when they come in our house because the design is overwhelmingly nice and then the finishes are, are pretty good. They're new. They're pretty good. Yeah. And people think they're high end. It's like... I um when I was uh, taking drawing classes in college, 
I wanted to put a horse in my, in my sort of abstract drawing. And I think I was like mulling this over and my art teacher, and I was like, I can't draw a horse though. That that's hard. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my art teacher was like, just hint at a horse, just put hint at a tail. Oh, yeah. You can draw a tail. I like that. Yeah. You can draw an ear. You can draw one leg. Okay. Yeah. And, and he's like, and people are going to see that as a really well-drawn horse because the rest of your drawing is sort of this abstract thing that's really working. Right. It's really right. working. It's more about the gesture. It's the gesture. And, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. people's and people's minds are filling in, oh, really good drawing of a horse. No, it's not. It's a terrible drawing of a horse, but your mind thinks it's good. Yeah. And that's what happens with our house. I feel like I should name our house Smoke and Mirrors at this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> Except right. real Smoke and Mirrors. Um, because it's, I mean... It it is, it, you know, it is actually. I I think uh, even even the framer. I had I had a meeting with the framer. Uh, so since then, um, one of the great things about this transaction too is that I eventually our firm eventually became one of the developers architecture firms. So it's been good from that standpoint too. Um, but I had a meeting with the framer of 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 the developer, and he said your house is really small for what it is he's like it's it's spatially you know walking through it and everything and you see all the mountain views and all the, you know all the windows and everything and you feel like mm-hmm. you're outside but you're inside it just feels it feels right it's it's we, we like to joke that it's like the mini mansion right because it's not yeah, it's not right. very much square foot it's not very much square feet at all right but a lot of the kids that come over they think we live in a mansion they call it a mansion like is this <laughs> they, they'll ask is this a mansion it's not either honestly we only have we have uh we have 2,500 square feet on the main floor and the upper floor. And in that 2,500 square feet, we have uh, four and a half bath or three and a half bathrooms and uh, four, five, six, six bedrooms. So it's compact, like it, but it feels very spacious. I never feel cramped in the house. No. And we have this um, like 45 inch wide circular chandelier when I think, I think that's one of the things that like clues people's minds into, oh, this is a mansion. You know, <laughs> this huge chandelier, but it but it was one of the, it was one of the ones that was not that expensive. No, either, it right? wasn't. Right? No, I think that's yeah, yeah. There was another thing we cut out. We we sacrificed on was the lighting. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, so you know, we have this how the foyer the foyer I think is uh, about twenty eight feet tall. It's pretty huge, and that's where we we uh, we said, well, we'll just put a light fixture in later, right? Yeah, yeah. Same thing. I think in the living room. Other places like that, we cut down. We cut down on the lighting. Right, and then we haven't added those things, but we haven't really needed them that much. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, I'm happy with it, and and I really, it just, I get a kick out of fooling people. Like the person who helped us with that pool, which I think is another mansion kind of item, the yeah, little so indoor pool. Yeah. So you walk into our foyer, and there's a there's a, a three foot wide by twelve foot long koi pond. It's like th- three or four inches deep. It's not actually a koi pond. It's a goldfish pond. Um, but people think it's koi. People, well, <laughs> they just, they, yeah, they associate that, right? Uh-huh. So yeah, it's like the smoke and mirrors pool. <laughs> so the person, the person who who uh, did that pool, told me, you know, we need some backsplash tile, and he's like, I can get you, you know, the finest, you know, from Italy at this showroom. They have the very high end, and I was like, oh, high end. I was like, oh, nothing in this house is high end. Yeah. And he I was heard. like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, yeah. That, you know, that was like when we, the first month we lived here and I was realizing like people think this is, it's very high end. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, we have we have four kids. We don't really want to have a lot of high end. No, one and of the we, we one of another table, thing though. I wanted was uh, <laughs> glass garage doors. Oh right. Yeah, the the price got really crazy at one point. I don't know. We had to cut. We had to cut a lot. I think it was like a hundred k at one point. It was a ridiculous amount. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Anyways, but design matters. Design matters. Design, Number one, design, design matters. absolutely matters. Um, but so why do you think design matters? So do you think design matters for real sale value or just design matters in general for building a house for the first time in that it just, it, that's the way you should, if you're going to, if you're going to build a house, it might only happen once in your life, design it well. I think design it well, and you're going to be very happy because within whatever you put in your house is just going to look that much better. It, yeah. With so the there better you go. Design, because I had in my other house, those half of this price, less than half of this price, I had very high quality floors, much yeah. better floors. Act- actual hardwood. Actual could hardwood. Could be refinished. Lovely, yes. Backsplashes. But you know, but but that house was a, a kind of a, a track home. And uh, what was it, like an 80s track home? 1983. Yeah, yeah. 80s track home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I have this uh, friend who's an interior designer, and I know, and you know what she says? She says, you know, like if you're going to overdo a house, she's like, you can't polish a turd. <laughs> right, <laughs> like I was well, sort of as polishing. The, as, as, a the turd. Old, as the old saying goes, <laughs> you can't polish a turd. So I mean, that's what I was essentially doing in that house. <laughs> that was an explicit episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so um, that's what you're asking me. Right, it's true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Okay, yeah. well, great. Yeah, I agree. I think design matters too. Um, I th- I absolutely, one hundred percent. Okay, N- next, next, the next uh, lesson. The next lesson I learned, and you warned me about this, was construction creep. So that this is a really important one for. And we're not talking about the construction creep that's hiding in the basement of the construction site. We're talking about <laughs> the cost. We're not of talking construction. about about Larry. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the cost of construction. So um, this was a tough one, and I didn't even want to believe it at first, but you told me, and it was true, that the the w- from the time you build a house to the time you finish, the cost goes up. Yeah. So if you have what we had, which was, what is it called, an open book or an open ledger? We, yeah, so <clears throat> one, of the, one of the other deals that we got with our project was, so it was that we, you know, I could be the architect, but the other one was that we could do an open book. So we could see exactly every single cost, even down to the percentage of the of the contractor, and we could we could evaluate and cut things and do you know have more a little bit more control of of the situation. Right. So, so what happens over the course of the um, eighteen months or so of the building is that prices go up about close to ten percent for a lot of things, like such as I think drywall maybe went up 10 percent there were a few things that went up yeah we uh drywall drywall at the turn of i can't remember the the first of some year they decided they were going to go up 10 percent so you know the subcontractor for this developer just let him know in advance hey we have to raise our prices so not so not only is there just labor costs and one of the things one of the things to point out here i think that's important is that ten percent cost, I don't think you could blanket you could blanket that across the country. I think we're in a unique situation in Colorado. We're in extreme in a, we're in the building boom of the United States in the middle of it. Um, but there's the, at the bottom line, there'd be at least like a four percent increase for inflation, right? Over eight over eighteen months. Well, 
inflation of of labor costs and materials. I mean, when when we went down the list, when we got our first itemized list, and then from that one to the last one, everything just went up something like 10%. Almost all of these um, 300 line items just went up. Yeah. Almost all of them. Mm -hmm. I think maybe two or three went down. It wasn't much. And right. the, the two or three went down. It was like, oh, we saved $100. It was uh, nothing. Right. And that really... In the scheme of things. And that really adds up. So I would want anyone building a house to be aware of that. Just be cognizant. That And plan for this 10% flux. Plan for that. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to have a house that you can't pay for unless you have planned for that. Or you have a different arrangement with your builder which is what they're probably going to do is then, you know, they're aware of this. They're probably going to charge a little bit more at the beginning. They're probably going to add that margin in there mm -hmm. and you're, you're going to pay for it either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but then you would probably, but then you would know the price up front. Yeah. Or, or honestly, I guess this is me on the fly thinking maybe you try to get a fixed fee from the beginning and you say, this is it. It's set in stone. We're done at, right. at like whatever, as early as in the, in the process as you can get that, to happen and then maybe they're like a builder that doesn't realize the 10 percent creep <laughs> and then <laughs> you know what i mean i mean that's just time. me being completely honest about the situation like i don't know maybe somebody somebody forgets about it at the end of the day but you know we're trying to help we're trying to help people that are building the house for the first time absolutely so, so yeah. yeah so i guess the last thing would be about my job as the real estate agent for this and as the homeowner um, and a lot of this came into play at the at the end, at closing, where I had walked through the house before closing, of course, and I saw a lot of a lot of issues and a lot of things not not done right or damaged. And then thoroughly documenting all those items uh, at closing. I mean, I was I was putting uh, letters on sticky notes and sticking them on the places and taking pictures and taking I got up taking photos with their tablet. I mean, I got up to like a P or something like the letters, you know, I mean, it was a lot of, of pictures and things to document and, and then like a, like, you know, lists too, aside from the pictures, just lists of things. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that I, as the homeowner, I don't know that you would always be prepared to do that, to go into that kind of documentation on the day that you're I don't closing. Think, I don't think the average homeowner is, no. is ready for that. I don't um, I don't think so either. Yeah. And it was not like um, on TV where like somebody, you know, drops a drop cloth uh, in front of your home and then you see it for the first time and it's magnificent. I mean, it was filthy. <laughs> you know and things were, didn't work and not only that but you have been if you have if you if you're building a house for the first time you have been through you've kind of been through hell for at least i think 30 days at a minimum and for long, for us it was you know there was there was all kinds of periods of where it got really stressful and it was, it was kind of a difficult thing to deal with but for 30 days you're going to be either moving out of some other place into a new place and then at the same time like you are desperate to just get into this freaking thing that is, is costing that is costing probably one of the most it's probably the most uh, the thing you spent the most money on in your life so far and you've seen it dirty every day you've seen it like nicked up and all this kind of stuff so for you to have a fresh eye too to the whole thing oh that's true you know yeah and I, that's that's exactly what you you're saying about the unveiling in in a short way but you know to like back up the whole process and think about it from that perspective too 
one of one of the superintendent of our that built that worked on our house he said you know uh trust me there's things you'll see over the next week so one of the things i i we did have in our contract was there's like cause there's sort of a grace period after you move in where you can document further things that you see yeah it's a few days or a week yeah so see you know so back to i think what you're getting at here is what do you how do you you need to be prepared if, if you're building for the first time with this this process that's coming up this year warranty that a lot of people have when they move into a house right absolutely to be prepared because what then also what happened was some things that a document on that day and asked for every you know two to four to five weeks for a while honestly she was every week which is great <laughs> every week it, it, there was almost it was almost a weekly email there was yeah <laughs> but but uh, but that kind of uh vera- that kind of um tenacity tenacity I, I really from an outside perspective is paramount you know because she uh, to credit Mar- Marilyn 100 percent she's resp- she has been responsible for basically all of the repairs in the warranty of the house so far especially you know one of the big ones is like our countertop but there was for her for her to get things going it seemed like it would have to be every week or every two week reminder so I think like a, a consistent interval it might not have to be every week that might have been too much but because in hindsight now we're thinking it might have been too much well for the first the first five weeks or so I was probably talking to Kyle four times a week just because we were coordinating people coming in and out of the house you know um but then but the reason for the documenting because everything that you agree on uh on day one when you move in because you do a walkthrough with your superintendent uh, and your real estate agent the first day everything you agree on that needs fixing or needs to be repaired because it's been damaged by other workers that it doesn't mean that everyone's going to remember that you know two three months from now when they've already taken care of 15 other things on your list they're not and then you know because it came back to me where they said oh no uh you you did that i think you did that damage to the countertop we don't have you know because you've you've been there five months now or you've done you did that damage and so i had to go back to the email from the move-in day with the photo with my stupid sticky note on, on the you know on the scratch and say no here it is because otherwise they were going to put it on us because that much time does go by where your things don't get done and people forget. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> one of the one of the bigger things that we got replaced was was our countertop. And how many tries? How many tries did it take for you to get that replaced? Um, and so it was a it was there was a ne- there was some negligence by a subcontractor they drug um, a piece of uh, a big piece of equipment over the top of it. There was a big scratch, and but it took you, I think, three or four, maybe five tries, to where we finally proved that hey, we there's no repairing this. This is this is this, this is damaged. Right. Property. They sent out three different people to repair it, and they all looked at it and said they couldn't do it. And that was that was over a period of four months or so. Uh, and so they sent those three people out, and then. Then and then I asked again. They're like, "Well, you you guys did that damage anyway." <laughs> when I wanted it replaced, <laughs> I had to go prove it. So I mean, so three people over like four months, and then finally getting the getting the replacement maybe in the fifth month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a long time. It was a, it was a lot of persistence and having to meet people here 
and we're and we right now we're about uh six to seven months six six and a half months through through the whole year warranty um we still have more items to take care of so you know maybe maybe we'll do like a follow-up podcast where we see if we we get through all of them i have no idea i'm 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 i am very interested to see if there's a just a cinch up at the end of um going through this building process and getting everything taken care of what we paid for oh that would be amazing (laughs) what we hope for i have no idea that would be amazing but but it's an experiment so okay so those those are those are great uh points lessons learned thank you for sharing with us tonight um sure happy to so would you would you ever would you recommend doing the building process overall to everybody oh i would recommend it to people who who can well i guess who who can wait for the time limit time that they need and be flexible and people who really want it i would say it's if you if if it's your dream and you really want it then then you'll do it it's not for the faint of heart or <laughs> because how i mean i think we thought we were going to be moving in um maybe 5 6 months earlier than we than we did and so we did not. <laughs> did not. So it takes a lot. So if you really want it and you're willing to go through these ups and downs, and th- that's who I would recommend it to if you just really, really want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Marilyn. Well, thanks. Thanks for your time today. How can everybody get a hold of you? If, ever, if somebody's looking to do a real estate transaction in Boulder County, let us know how we can get a hold of you. Where, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, uh, my website is youredgeinlongmontrealestate.com. How about your email? Email. Um, Marilyn.ackerman at coloradohomes.com. Okay. All All right. right. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Marilyn. I I thought that was great. I thought those points were excellent. Um, The first one I'll touch on from just my perspective of design matters. There's a fancy neighborhood just south before Denver, you know, in between Longmont and Denver. And I, I always love looking at cost per square footage. So there's a traditional Tuscan house and then there's a modern house and they're both about the same square footage. They're um, about the same bedrooms and their modern house cost per square foot is more. And what's great about that is, is, okay, so modern cool architecture can get you more in return than these traditional houses, which was awesome. And then the second part is design versus your finishes. And I think that's so key. And there's two main things I think you can do in design that always enhance no matter what your budget is one is tall ceilings and two is windows what does your house have both those (laughs) so the main floor is nine foot ceilings the upper floor is eight foot ceilings but But you're yeah we have a we have a huge two-story foyer when you walk in with a with a little koi pond and then these custom stairs so we did spend a little bit of money there in the finishes right and then you go and then you keep going further into the house and then there's a two-story dining space yeah. Huge, and then nearly zero hallways. Nearly zero hallways. Yeah. So when I live, and in a ton of glass. There's like a ridiculous amount of pellet glass. Yep. So and then Lance didn't go crazy on his finishes or anything like that whatsoever. Even like there was ca- there was stuff that at first just pained me to death as an architect. Yeah. And so a level five finish is what I wanted. I wanted a museum level finish on my walls. Did you get we, that? We did not get that. So we went to level three and I, we have orange peel, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but we don't like, I just, you know, it, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't bug me. <laughs> but, but, but those two things, the glass and the tall ceilings, your kitchen. So I like your cabinets. I like, I love your kitchen, but your cabinets are not like, no, they're, they're lower end cabinets. All they do is look really clean. Yeah. It's just super clean lines. 
they're not 100% where you can't see any vertical pieces between the cabinets, which is a t- like a tell sign, like, ah, that's kind of a builder level. But they look modern because yeah. they're so clean. Um, in Fargo, I lived in an old wood uh, wood storage building that was made out of concrete double T's, right? Mm-hmm. And you'd, I almost expected this place to, to suck. But what it had, since it was a wood storage place, you, you've been in there. Yeah. It, w- it had 14-foot ceilings, and then the double T's were facing outside, and I was on the west side. So you need fins for shading. They didn't do it because of that. But they just did the cheapest, dumbest construction. So the light that would bounce into my 14-foot little bedroom was perfect. It was an amazing space, not because of any finish whatsoever, only because of tall ceilings and that nice light coming in. Yeah. So... Um, that's cool. The second, uh, point, uh, you guys made was construction creep. And what I'm wondering from your perspective, and especially since our future development is let's say we put in there a 5% construction creep, Yep. whatever. We're counting for inflation. Yep. Stuff like that. Do we secretly on the back end, without putting in the budget say, okay, we should raise enough money or have enough wiggle room in our, in our construction loan for an extra 5%. Yeah. I think it's a minimum of 10 yeah. Yeah. That's where it comes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It because just happens. It just happens. People, people, people cost more as the years go on and there's inflation, fiat currency, the whole deal. And I would even say, let's say you budget for a 10% construction creep in, in everything. For some reason, I feel like it always gets taken up. So I think you need a separate secret way to cover that 5% that's going to go over budget. That's what I'm getting at. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Somehow we got to figure that out. Um, I forgot this one. I can't read my last note. <laughs> Document everything. Document everything. Yeah. So if you build a new house, you're, uh, you have a year warranty basically because there's going to be settlement. Things need to get fixed. Things are not always going to work correctly. Yep. And I would say this is key for our development and moving in as developers and anyone else. We need a file system. We need every stove, every, everything we have. We just need to put it in there. And it's just, I think it's a great reminder and something that just needs to happen. And it, and it goes to, every, like you said, everyone buying a new house, building a new house, developers, just get that paperwork. So this is a good little segue, I think, into some on-the-fly development talk that I, I've, had an, I've had an idea about, and that is, <clears throat> so what, one thing I wish they would have done for my house is I wish they would have, we did, a, we did a walkthrough with the punch list at the end, and then that's where Marilyn documented everything that was screwed up, and then, and then she followed through and fixed, and we got things fixed, like we got our waterfall cut countertop fix which is huge for us but what i really wish they would have done is i wish they would have said hey here's how your furnace works here's how your here's how your here's how to program your uh garage door opener stuff like that there's uh some townhomes that we did there's some town a manual exactly an operations manual so i think it would help with any kind of weird first of all it would take away 90 maybe 75 percent of the questions from everybody and then we got to deal with only 25 percent after that and you can train them because if they ask a question, you say, hey, that's in your manual. If you could find that or I'll send you a PDF, go to page five. Exactly. And then after I ask three questions and realize they're all in the manual, maybe they'll just look in the manual. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I want to develop something like that for our development. And one other thing would be is an idea from a developer based on – so when you do these – we're doing three-story, basically, century townhomes. When you do these three-story townhomes, if you only put one furnace on them, well, I think we're aiming for two, right? So we don't have this problem. No, See, we, we're put st- them in the, we put them in the... Sorry. We put them in the first floor, so heat rises. On some of the ones that are inefficient, we put them on the upper floors. So that's how we're getting... Yeah. 
But one of the things, so there was a lot of the tenants in, in one of these buildings was complaining to the developer. And they said, oh, we're not, it's too cold and the lower floor, the middle floor is hot and the upper floor is like ridiculous or something like that. I would even like to write into the manual, here's how you adjust your vents. <laughs> First floor totally open, middle floor halfway because open, we, third floor we, basically We closed. even had to do that. We even had to do that. And the other thing I would throw in is I would, and a lot of developers don't do this, but I, this would alleviate a lot on our end is because with our house, one of the things we did was we paid, we paid 500 bucks to get all the ducts cleaned. I would suggest we just we just go ahead and include that as a as a fee that as a thing that we do before we sell the product is get all the construction debris out of the vents. Every single house in our neighborhood, everybody had to do it privately. Every, nobody got that included with their. You could just tell, like you, you could just tell the ducks needed to be clean when you. Yeah, it made them inefficient. Yeah, it yeah. made them so they were not. And this is a brand new. Yeah. extremely you know like a um, near net zero house that we live in yeah i feel like i feel like that should just be included yeah so thanks again marilyn appreciate it yeah thank you uh you have some surprise questions i got some i got a surprise thought surprise and then, thought and then surprise question for you okay okay one is have you heard of the v the v yep like or the, the flying v nope no well you probably haven't heard about it because i just made it up right oh, now okay <laughs> Uh, we have these conversations and we've talked to, uh, we just met with another architect. We, we meet with people all the time and I think your ability to succeed is correlated to your ability to take and survive the V or the dip. So me and my house just sold a new house, making a good profit profit. I'll have money left over, but just sold my house and buying a new house. I'm, I'm paying for inspections. I'm paying for title closing. I'm paying for all this stuff. Al Gore is not broke, but getting there. Mm-hmm. And it, it's always this pinch. And if you think about hiring your first person, it's, oh, you know, they come on, you got to pay them. Their work hasn't been reimbursed yet. Um, building the tiny houses, the first one, Atlas, we're spending all that money. It didn't really come back till we made number two and number three. And even then, it, there, there's this pinch until we even got that money. Because, you know, I, I normally start out a project, then you get in the construction. And then even that, that V got so severe with that, you had to say, even though I was on the job site, Al, you got to take over these last two weeks and be construction manager. Um, and then you came in the last week and, and buttoned it all up. But there's, there's these, the bigger the V... If you do it right, the bigger the upside on yes, the other side. Equal and opposite reaction, 100%. Yep. And that, I, I wanted to know if you agreed with that. And then the other point I just kind of make to, to everyone is don't make self-inflicted fees because the real fees are going to be hard enough. So I agree with it. And what I think it comes down to is you need to you need to somehow be able to recognize the V and know know where the bottom of the V is and then set yourself up to be able to survive it. So when you're hiring somebody, I think one of the big things that we was for like right now two people yep with these with with our last two with our last two hires was we need to make sure the deposit for the new big project gets into our bank account before the first set of payroll. And the way we set up payroll with the first two was we had them start we had them start so that we knew that the check would the check would be in there by the time we'd have to hit the first payroll. Which this is now our biggest payroll. To date, right? Yep. So now every two weeks, it's like, oh, wow, that's a number we haven't had to account for for a while. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> yep. And then it's still, even though you did that mitigation, it's still, okay, we have these people and the dip between the payroll and their expense, because they started, they produce a whole bunch, but that does, you know, we say, a, so they might do a two weeks or a month worth of work before it gets billed out. And then 
<laughs> people are supposed to give us our check in a month, but they might not. Mm-hmm. So it's you're you're dealing with this heavy payroll for probably two to three months before everything gets. Cashed I'd say it's a so. I'd say it's a minimum of two months. Yep. Yep. A heavy payroll, and you're gonna you're, that's when you're going down, down, down in the V, and then maybe month three or month four after hiring new people, you start pulling out of that V. Yep. Yeah. So my. My second kind of secret thing is I'm listening to Jocko podcast. It's awesome. Um, and he was talking about one concept of lead yourself, right? And sometimes we dish out advice. It's like we have a podcast and we dish out. <laughs> <laughs> and do you take it yourself? You know, do you take that advice yourself? So one thing we tell students all, all the time, especially when they're starting to design, is that your end result, whatever you make, is a product of the quality of the question you asked yourself in the beginning, right? Skyscraper, how a skyscraper could grow is a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is what questions are we asking F9 or can we ask F9 that will lead to a bigger result in the end? Lately, I've been asking, are we doing, am I doing what, are we doing what we want to do every day? Or at least are we, trying to do what we want to do every day. So for me, I have been trying, I've, that has been my mantra for about the past month and it's helped me like relieve stress. And it's also helped me. It's also started to align with the timing of, of certain marketing things we were starting to do. So earlier this week, as you know, as some of you might know, I updated the, our website, which is huge for us. It finally got Alex back on board to not totally hate the website. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Thank you. It's pretty decent. I'm really excited about it because for the first time in our in literally our firm's very small, you know, under a decade existence, we have on our web page on the select work site por- portion of it, almost every building is built. So this is huge for us because our, our I mean where we started F9 Productions, the idea is. Oh, you hit F9 in the keyboard in, in, in 3ds Max. You turn out a rendering. Yeah, we're we're starting the firm just basically off of renderings and convincing people to hire us so that stuff gets built, right? So, but what aligned with that was we were also on yesterday um, our episode with the Art of Construction podcast, which I highly recommend anybody to go check out. Devin Tilly over at uh, Mountain Mountain View Windows does a does a phenomenal job. It, it's one of the best produced podcast that I think that it w- that I think we've been on so far it was just yeah. it was just really well done it felt it was four people it was more gregarious all yeah that. oh it was hilarious yeah. there were some really really funny points on it but what I'm getting at is like all of a sudden that was you know I knew that was coming out so I felt like what I want to do is get f9 back up to speed on the website back up to the marketing and that's what's driving me not actually designing buildings and then I just kind of tried to go with the flow of where the universe was telling me to go. Yep. And then if you, so then once, once that pot, once that art of construction podcast went up, I went and checked our numbers for our podcast. It instantly went up the views on our Facebook page. Like I knew all of this kind of media storm was coming. So we better have our ducks in a row. And for me, that was the least stressful. And I know like, again, we're on, we're on the right road here. So yeah. that, that's where I am at personally. And professionally. I think that's a great perspective. And then I just, I have a slightly different perspective because we're different people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, in a broader scope, I went and when I didn't have an answer right away. So I was like, how can I ask this question without an answer? So I looked at some of the other companies and here's some examples, right? So if you think about SpaceX, they, their question is how to create a dual uh, planet civilization. Like that's such a big question. Dual planet civilization. Right. So that, you know, humans are on two, two planets. Um, Amazon, 
how to make the world comfortable buying online. And that drives a whole bunch of, you know, it, it gives, it gives you, especially SpaceX, it gives you purpose and gives you direction. Uh, Google, this is Google's actual mission statement, but it can be a question, right? To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. So if you just add how to that, how to organize the world's information, like, okay, that, that can be that filter when people are deciding what to do. Um, and Facebook to give people power to share and connect, you know, connect the world. So here's one that I think you'll kind of agree on, on F9. And it's funny that you said that F9, that render business, um, you know, rendering to, to real. How can architects become master builders again? And I think, I think we're asking that question. Yeah. And, and what's great is that it links back with our name. F9 is just a render key. But if we, you know, some of this AI stuff, some of this printing stuff, some of this us being in the field. So it's literally, you know, going in the computer and making it. And our new F9 is that it's printed in reality, not in just rendering. Absolutely. Yeah. Boom. 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 You heard it here. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay. Last thing we're going to wrap up with today. Everybody loves it. Code questions. <laughs> so uh, I've been a hundred for a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to any of our previous podcasts. All right. So we're going to continue with chapter 12 from the International Building Code, Interior Environments, okay? So this is section uh, 1208.2, minimum ceiling heights. This should be a Ooh. layup for you. I'm warming you up, okay? I'm warming you up. I thought we already talked about this. We did, but this, is, this pertains to more than just corridors, okay? Because that was out of chapter 10, okay. means of egress. Uh, so occupiable spaces. What? Time out. When, when, last time, when you talked about means of egress. And uh, you it, the height was seven foot six uh -huh. that you needed. Uh -huh. And I said seven foot in my answer. Do you remember, and I think there is, I want to prove myself right, if, if you go on a mezzanine, and the mezzanine has certain restrictions that has to be a third, that only has to be seven foot. That's correct. Bam. Yeah. So not all means of egress have to be seven foot six because there's exceptions. There's some exceptions. Yeah. Cool. No, no, no. Means of egress, you got to be seven foot six. No, but not in a mezzanine level. But that's a... But that's kind of like its own room space. No, but you can travel through that. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah. But can that be, I don't know. If that part can of be. your means of egress. Exactly. It can. Oh, okay, then, then you're good. So yeah. part of it can, yeah. All right. Occupiable spaces, habitable spaces, and corridors shall have a ceiling height of not less than what? A, 80 inches. B, 7 feet. C, 7 foot 6. D, 8 feet. I want to say seven feet. Six foot eight is just door height. That seems ridiculous. So I'm going to say seven foot. Seven foot six. <laughs> I think I'm just used to so much IRC. I wish, I wish everybody could have saw his face. <laughs> oh, man. We got to get a video going on this at some point. Yeah. It was hilarious. So, so IBC, just, you're just seven foot six. Yep. Yeah. Except. Oh, nice. So this is, this is, uh, this is part two of sort of the question, okay? Bathrooms, toilet rooms, kitchens, storage rooms, and laundry rooms shall be permitted to have a ceiling height of not less than how many feet? 80 inches, 7 feet. So, sorry, A, 80 inches, B, 7 feet, C, 7 foot 6, D, 8 feet. So, 80 inches is 6 foot 8, just for everyone's FYI. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go on a streak and say 7 foot. <laughs> yes! Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Correct. Woo. Correct. All right. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> Not that right. All right. Uh, yeah, we need to get the air horn yeah. in here. Da, 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 da. We have an air horn at, air horn at our firm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Chapter 12, 
interior environments. Okay, now this is an exception of uh, 1208.2, okay? Exception number two. If any room in a building has a slope ceiling, the prescribed ceiling height for the room is required, which the prescribed ceiling height in this case would be, let's just say, seven feet, okay? Okay. The prescribed ceiling height for the room required in what is it is required in what percentage of the area there thereof? A thirty three percent, B fifty percent, C sixty six percent, D seventy five percent. So in other words, if you have a room and there's a ceiling height that you're trying to adhere to based on the what we said in the previous two questions, what percentage of that floor area needs to be at that ceiling height? Fifty percent. Correct, sir. All right. Last question here. We'll wrap it up for today. Chapter 14, exterior walls, section 1405.16, fiber cement siding. Unless, uh, yeah, yeah, you wish. Unless otherwise specified in the approved manufacturer's instructions, nails used to fasten the siding to wood studs shall be corrosion resistant, round head smooth shank and shall be long enough to penetrate the studs by at least how much a three quarters of an inch b one inch c one and one quarter inch d one and one half inch so fiber cement siding you're putting it you're, you're installing it on the exterior wall how far do the nails need to penetrate into the studs one and a quarter that is incorrect. Ooh. And I was going to call one of our good friends or text him and let him know that it's not actually one and a quarter because I remember him telling me multiple times for the ARE that uh, one and a quarter, you should just remember that. Like That's where I got it. Yeah. But is it just different? Is he correct besides for fiber cement? He, he might be. I don't know. I don't know. So the answer is one inch. One inch. Which I thought was I for me. kind of little. That's pretty little. It's, it's, only this, it's only as big as like yeah. the first... Uh, knuckle of from the fingertip to your knuckle of your of like your pointer and finger. What I'm it, it, the tip, you know, is probably close to half an inch almost. Mm-hmm. So you, it seems uh, like not enough. Personally, I would do at least an inch and a quarter, maybe an inch and a half, and prescribe it that way. Yeah. So, G- hey, great questions. And just to clarify, I know Lance said this on the last one when we were talking about masonry uh, coming down to. Oh yeah, yeah. We had a listener. We had a listener uh, question here. It, it it was and 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 I just uh, I just missed this part. It's just what we were talking about was for veneer only. Oh, it just adhered to adhered. like absolutely one hundred percent adhered. No one inch cavity yep. for brick. We're talking about brick that is one just adhered to a one or two story building. Yep. Because you had to be what four at least four inches away from grade for yep. that. Where if you just have regular masonry, you can go. You can have a brick ledge below. You can go to. It doesn't matter. You can stick it right next to the ground if you want. Yep, if there's the one-inch cavity. Yep. Um, so, hey, thank, thanks for listening. Uh, please review us on, on iTunes. You can do it right from your phone. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, email me, akg at f9productions. Follow, follow us on the Facebook. Follow us on the Twitter. Check us out on SoundCloud. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and shout-out to Kurt Kruger and Nicholas Renard. Really looking forward to hearing you guys hopefully soon on the podcast. Uh, I've asked you guys to send in some worst and best advice. And anybody else, anybody else who listens, I would love to hear your, we'd love to hear your worst and best advice. Okay, see you next week.